Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sometimes stories can go where logic cannot. We try to argue issues to build an airtight case that demonstrates a case for life, but there's nothing like when you can give it flesh and blood. Hearing from the heart, someone's real life story that heard the heartbeat like those you're about to watch. Check this out. How did you get your position in Planned Parenthood as a leader there and what was your goal? Yeah, you know, I I started working there as a college kid. I I grew up in a pro-life home. I grew up in a conservative home, but you know, we didn't talk about abortion. We didn't I didn't grow up in a a, a home that, you know, was sitting around the dinner table talking about the ins and outs of being pro-life or being pro-choice. I think my parents, you know, they had taught me the the biblical pathway to marriage, and so I think they they just sort of thought, well, as long as Abby follows that path and abortion will never be on the table. And so, you know, we don't need to talk about something so unpleasant with our, our little girl. And so, you know, we just didn't. And I went to, went to college and met a woman with Planned Parenthood and she was trying to recruit college students. And, you know, I tell people all the time, wherever there are vulnerable women, so is Planned Parenthood. And there are tens of thousands of vulnerable women on college campuses each and every day. And so that's exactly why Planned Parenthood is there trying to recruit them. And she was telling me all of the talking points that we have all heard about how wonderful Planned Parenthood is as an organization and how they're trying to help women. And if we're not here helping women obtain safe and safe and legal abortion, which that was sort of the that was the talking point, that was the tagline back then, then these women are going to go and have unsafe back alley at home coat hanger abortions. And so all of that sounded great to me as a a young student. And I got involved first as a volunteer and then eventually got hired there full time and rose up through the ranks and then became a, a clinic director there and was actually running the health clinic and also the abortion clinic there um, at a facility in Texas and ended up leaving in October of 2009 after witnessing a live ultrasound guided abortion procedure where I saw a 13 week old baby fight and struggle for his life against the abortion instruments. And I knew then that there was life inside the womb that there was humanity there inside the womb. And I knew that if those two things were true, then I was on the wrong side of this debate. And so I ended up leaving. Roland, I so appreciate and respect your uh, position on these issues. And also, uh, I, I just, I love your, your background. You graduated from Princeton and from Wharton School of Business. You spent 20 years in the corporate world working for companies like IBM and Goldman Sachs. And now you are investing your time dealing with the issue of life. What led you to CareNet? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's a, sort of a, a longer sto- story that I'll say very quickly. But, you know, when I was in college, I got my girlfriend pregnant. Uh, we were both undergrads at Princeton. And um, I was a junior. She was a sophomore. And she was uh, encouraged to abort. And uh, she didn't want to do that. Uh, we decided to get married despite, you know, the encouragement to abort. And uh, we've been married for, for over 40 years. And so pretty early on, as a kid who grew up without a dad, you know, I was, was kind of moved into fatherhood and had the life issue and the fatherhood issue both come together. Mm. So as I left Princeton and went into the business world, I thought that's where God had me. But the reality is that that lesson that I learned way back when I was a 20-year-old college student was really very connected to uh, the work that that God has given me to do. I kind of think about myself in many ways like Wilberforce, these two great objects. You know, he had these two great objects, Reformation of Manners and Abolishment of Slavery. For me, it's really helping those who are vulnerable from the standpoint of those in the womb, but then also building strong families and helping fathers be the best dad that they can be. And certainly the life issue is sort of ground zero for both of those things. Fatherhood begins at conception. And so uh, it's very much connected to uh, the work that I do and, and the call that God has for me and my personal uh, story and personal narrative. And just to finish that, my wife ended up graduating uh, from Princeton, not with just one kid, but with two. I told her she'd never become a doctor or whatever if she if she, if she she decided to have the child well, she's been a doctor practicing over 25 years. So I've seen in my own life how, you know, when you use God's plan uh, and, and you focus on what God has called us to do, don't let one mistake uh, be complicated with a second mistake, that being an abortion. We can see the abundance from that. Let me also say this. I have had two abortions. So I thought, okay, is that really what happened to my babies? I mean, if I'm admitting that abortion is a heinous murder of innocent children, then I'm having to admit that I've murdered my own two children. And that's, that's a, a big admission of guilt. And so I thought, I don't know if I have the courage to actually admit that. And so it would be a lot easier for me to just sort of try to justify away what I had seen on that screen. So I thought, did I really see that baby fighting for his life? You know, and so I tried to make it okay in my head for a few days, but I just couldn't. I knew what I had seen. I could not stop seeing that image in my head. Melissa, can you just share a little of your backstory that led up to your courageous decision of choosing life? When I was 18 years old, I found myself in an unplanned pregnancy and I um, wasn't married. I wasn't well off. We oftentimes didn't even have food in the house. And um, when you're young, and you gotta remember I was 18, I'm a lot older than that now. But back then, they didn't have resources at your fingertips. And back then, it was either you parented your child or you mm-hmm. got an abortion before it becomes a baby. And yes, I'm being sarcastic by that because obviously we know that it's a baby at moment of conception. So um, I was at an abortion clinic in Indianapolis because that was going to be the fastest and easiest solution. And as we approached the abortion clinic... They, uh, they rush out to get you when you arrive, and they put a blanket over my head and a radio on both sides to drown out the noise of the sidewalk advocates that were outside. Mm. And um, as I was walking in, 
there was this one protester that I could hear, even though this rock music was playing on both sides of my ear, and she said, your baby's got ten fingers and ten toes. And that sort of just running through my mind as I'm going inside. Mm. And as I get inside the clinic, everything happens so quickly. They take your money first thing because that's the motivating factor. So they, they took my money right away and uh, they rushed you back very quickly. And I was rushed back and on my way back, I could see other women in the hallways and in other rooms. And they all were just slouched down, very pale, very sad and just a very evil feeling in the, in the building. And they took me back to what I now call the silver room. And as I enter the silver room, the nurse says, take this, and it's a little white cup with the blue pill, put this gown on, lay on the table, and put your feet in the stirrups. And yes, ma'am, I, I didn't know any different. So as I, as I walk in, there's like all the, all the walls are white, Everything's silver, the sink, the table I had to lay on, the, the table that has all the instruments. Yeah. And it looks like, like what you would see in a dental office. So as, as, I, as I'm lying on this table and I just take them this pill, and, and I'm looking over at this tray and I'm thinking, man, are they going to use that stuff on me? What, what is all this? As I'm in there, I have a experience from the Lord. So I'm laying back on the table as my head falls to the right, I can see my reflection in the cart. And I hear this voice, and it says, get up. Get up. It's not too late. For a mm. second, I'm thinking, now what kind of pill did they just give me, right? Right, right. So I lay back, and I keep reliving the voices of your baby's got ten fingers and ten toes, and the voice that I had just heard pleading with me, get up get up. It's not too late. As right as that happened, the abortionist comes in, never makes eye contact with me at all. And I'm an eye contact person. So he comes in, washes his hands, sits on the silver stool, slides over to me. And right as his hand, his left hand or his hand went and touched my left leg, I sat up and I said, I can't do this. I just, I can't. And instead of saying, well, that's great. Do you know there's other resources available? Instead, he gets angry at me, and he stands up, never look, looks me in the eye, not once, rips off his gloves, turns around, starts to walk out, pushes his foot on the silver trash can, drops his gloves in, and just leaves me there. No nurse came in, no more doctors came in, nothing. So I got dressed and left the abortion facility still pregnant. When I got back, I got in the car, and we got driving down the road, and I said that I couldn't do it. And I was asked, what do you mean you couldn't do it? And I said, I, ju I just couldn't do it. So we're like, now what are we going to do? And I had no idea what I was going to do, honestly, at the time. Yeah. And I was blessed with a UTI infection. And I say I'm blessed with a UTI infection because of this led to the adoption. So when I went to the emergency room, um, I got connected with a social worker. And her name was Rhonda. And I said, so let me ask you this. If I ask or tell you anything, you cannot repeat it, correct? She says, that's correct. And I can't tell anybody. So I shared my story and where I was at. And I said, I don't know what to do. And she said, have you ever thought about adoption? And I said, adoption? I said, you mean just give my baby to somebody I don't know? What? I won't know where they're at or what they're doing or if they're okay. I won't know what kind of life they had. And she goes, but if you think about the alternative, because... Ultimately, he was five seconds or less away from person non-existent. Yeah. So I, I gave that some thought and 
And she said to think it over a few days, and I did that, and I called her back, and she got me connected with Kirsch and Kirsch PC, who facilitated my adoption. Abby, there's people who are watching us, and, and we're, they're, they're, they're listening to you, and they're fascinated by your story, and, and yet they may, like you, have had abortion as part of their, their past, part of their story. And they're wrestling with how to, how to process all of this. Maybe they're... Um, still where you were saying, you know, this is, this is good, this was right for me considering my circumstances, or maybe somebody's saying, I'm really torn because I, 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 I'm experiencing things now that I was never told that I would experience. I was told this would fix a problem and it seems to have created new problems. What, what would you like to say to them right now? I, uh, you and I are in a similar boat. You have six kids, I have eight. And um, we're, we're both familiar with animated films, I'm sure. And one day I was, um, I was watching the film Kung Fu Panda with my daughter, Grace. She was young. I had, I had not been out of the clinic that long and I was really struggling. I was really struggling with my own two abortions. I was really struggling with, um, the, the 22,000 abortions that I had been a part of while working at the clinic and just was like, how can God forgive me of that? Just grief. And uh, I just didn't know how to move past it. And I was watching this film with my daughter and there's this part in the film where this old turtle is dying and he says, do you know why today is called the present? And he says, because it's a gift. And I'd probably watch that movie, I don't know, a hundred times. You know how kids are. They watch it over and over again. But right in that moment, it was like, it, it just struck me. It was like the Lord sort of thumped me on the head, you know? And I heard it in a, a way that I had not heard it before. And I thought, gosh, this is a gift that I have been given. The Lord has given me a gift. And I thought, I'm, I'm wasting it. Not only is it a gift, but he's given me this, this testimony that I do have a desire to use. And that alone is a gift. This testimony that he's given me is a gift. And I was sort of just throwing it away. And I was, I, I felt like I was just in bondage because of my past. But God says, I want you here, right here in the present with me. And, and so I had to really embrace that. And I had to embrace this gift that he was giving me every day. And if I'm honest, it took practice. You know, it, it took practice waking up every day and saying, thank you, Lord, for the gift of today. Thank you, Lord, for, for taking my past and using it for your glory today, right now. And, and eventually, I just would wake up, and after some time of practicing and giving my day to God and accepting the gift that he had given me, Eventually, after practicing that for a while, I would wake up and I didn't even have to think about it. I just so desired to, to live 
in the in that grace. I just so desired to live in that gift. I, I couldn't even think about going back and, and living in my past. And that's what God wants for, for all of us. Now let's turn to a couple of stories that showcase how God is moving in the family of faith to help those with stories like we just heard. Watch this. You were a businessman. You've got this uh, truck washing business, and then you become a pro-life champion. Take us through that journey. My background is the marketplace. I've been in business for 16 years. I started a company when I was 20 years old. Uh, we've been doing discipleship training in the marketplace. I believe there's no separation between ministry and the marketplace. When you have Jesus in your heart, it's all full-time ministry. And so we were doing a lot of things uh, in the marketplace, you know, with ministry. But a lot changed for me when our friends invited me out to our local abortion clinic and exposed me to the reality of what was happening in our backyard. And some that were visibly pregnant, you know, 20, maybe 20 weeks pregnant. We do abortions all the way up to 20 weeks here in North Carolina, Visib visibly pregnant, walking into these places with tears running down their face and then walking back out a few minutes later to their car, sitting in their car. And we're just out there praying and I'm just broken over what I'm, I'm seeing in, in our city having no idea that this reality even took place in our city. For whatever reason, I just, I didn't know about it, Kirk, until I stood there in front of that place. And then the mom would go back in and then she would go back out. And it was this intense spiritual battle that you could feel, but it was literally manifesting itself in the physical right before me as I saw this struggle of life and death play out right before my eyes. And this, this mom was not the only one there. There was about 30 moms there for an abortion that day. And I just was broken over the reality of what was happening in our own backyard and how we were doing nothing about it. So I had to go through my own repentance journey and, and letting the Lord deal with me and break my heart for what breaks is. And because the reality is I had become numb. I had become callous, like many of us, to the reality of abortion in our city. But it was when I stood there, it became real, became personal for me. And so I started to ask the question, well, where is the church then at abortion centers in our city? Do we really believe it's a life? Do we really believe the value of the life is the same? And if it is, then my life has to look drastically different after today. You brought some friends down to the clinic. You wanted to bring other people into this experience. You brought your pastor, you brought your, your employees from your business there to pray. And as you guys began to pray, people began to personalize this whole issue and you saw Christians coming to life in a brand new way. Talk about that. Yeah, the, the solution for this is the family of God. It's the church. And so, you know, I had to start in my own heart first. God convicted me, go through my own repentance journey. And then I went to my office, went back to my office. I called a, a staff meeting. I told our staff about what I encountered that day. And then I invited them down to the abortion clinic for them to see it for themselves my pastor, my family, my friends, so on and so on. And through that process, uh, through a couple of years, they're just getting activated with different pregnancy care centers. I was in a season of prayer and fasting, and the Lord spoke to me um, in my prayer clause that I've called you to the least of these, and I've called you to be a voice for the voiceless. And over the course of about a week, God has started waking me up in the middle of the night, downloading a strategy and a plan of how to mobilize the church in our city to offer the help that you just talked about, Kirk, to offer the solutions that are needed uh, to come alongside of these moms, to come alongside of these dads, 
to get Christians out to these dark places, these mission fields in our city, to offer the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church. And we launched in 2016. We, we call the ministry Love Life because uh, we love life. Jesus loves life, all life, life in the womb and life outside of the womb. And since we launched in 2016, we've seen over 500 churches now come together across denominational lines, over 100,000 people that have now come out to the abortion clinics to do prayer walks, to get exposed to the reality of what's happening in our city, just like I got exposed to. And we now have seen, because of the churches immobilized, over 3,500 families that have made the choice for life at the abortion clinics. These are people that showed up for scheduled abortions and heard the hope of Jesus and were offered the help of the local church for us to come alongside them, to disciple them, to mentor them, and so on. You might know that adoption is close to my heart. Here's a bit more about the blessing of the adoption option. You know, I, I have six children together with my wife and my wife is an adopted child. She was this close to being aborted and we have four adopted children who are also one doctor appointment away from not being here. And if my wife were not born, either would our two natural born children. And so uh, this idea of, of championing and celebrating and defending life uh, is so important to me personally. You have yes. personally been impacted by the topic of adoption. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your daughter and adopting her from China? Absolutely. You know, I was for the idea of adoption, you know, supportive of it. James 127 says pure religion is to visit, to take care of the widows and the orphans, to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And so I've cheered on other families that have adopted. You know, I thought that's good for them. And then as I was praying and trying to be open to the Lord, God spoke to me and my wife about adoption, that we should be open to oh. that. We had four biological children at home. And so just through uh, navigating that journey of faith, God led us to adopt a baby girl from China. It was crazy to find out that the day that she was born was the same day that God spoke to our hearts in America about her adoption story. And so it, we brought her home in 2013. Uh, she's 11 now. We've seen the Lord do amazing things. Just recently, she gave her life to Christ. She has brought so much joy into our home. But that whole process taught me so much about God's heart for the orphan. Because throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says that God is a father to the fatherless. He has incredible compassion on children that don't have parents. Because not only do they not have means, but they don't have a way to get what they need. And they need the protection, the provision of a loving family at home. And so that not only is communicated in the scripture, but Ephesians says that all of us are really separated from God and are spiritually adopted when we give our lives to Christ. Ah. So it taught me so much about our spiritual journey of adoption, that in Christ, we have a loving father now, access to his throne, his resources, his provision, and we have a home in heaven waiting for us as one of the benefits of our spiritual adoption. So it is, it's a beautiful thing that the church understands and realizes this, this powerful picture of adoption that's in scripture. A couple of my kids have actually reached out just like David in the movie and made a connection with their birth mother or their birth father and the stories that they have been told, the background that they never knew that led to their birth and their adoption into our family is, is been mind blowing to all of us. Uh, my daughter, uh, her birth mother had scheduled an abortion and 
was there at the clinic and saw a roach crawling across the floor and it so disgusted her that she left. She tried to reschedule and got a flat tire on the way to the clinic. She tried to reschedule a third time and wasn't able to provide the upfront cash money for the procedure and had to cancel again. And after all of that, she decided to uh, give birth to our daughter, Bella, and place her up for adoption. And here she is, now a full-grown woman, and she just loves the Lord, loves her family, and now she has a genuine friendship with her birth mother, and her birth mom uh, recently got saved, and now they're able to share a love for Jesus together. Uh, wow. it, it's, it's just amazing. What, what could you say to them about the adoption option? I am here today because of adoption. Adoption is a loving option, Birth mothers who choose adoption are heroes. They really are. They choose life in circumstances that were tough. And because of that decision, saved a life and built a family. Just like Melissa saved my life and allowed us to have a family. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Who would have thought that in our lifetime, we'd see the overturning of Roe versus Wade? So what does that decision mean for the dignity of life? Watch this. Can you give us an idea of uh, the scope and the gravity, the importance of Roe versus Wade being overturned? I don't think you can think of a, a case in recent times uh, that has been more significant um, and that who's overruling uh, is more significant. Uh, as you well know, we have lost 60 million children, about one every 30 seconds, uh, to abortion since Roe was decided in 1973. We have lived under Roe's regime of mandated on-demand abortion for nearly half a century. And so it is a huge reason uh, to rejoice uh, that the Supreme Court has overruled that case. Uh, as the decision says, the Constitution nowhere protects a right to an abortion. Uh, it says nothing in the constitutional text, structure, or history. Uh, rather, uh, it allows states and the democratic branches to protect life, which is huge. <laughs> we believe that, that every child is created in the image of God. Um, and states can now protect those lives. Why did the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade? I mean, was there a, a vote among the new justices that now said, hey, we, we believe that abortion is wrong? Or was it, no, 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 that's not their job. What they did was decide that the decision of Roe v. Wade was actually an unconstitutional decision. What, why, why did they overturn it? Uh, it was the latter, Kurt. So what the justices did, um, and as you say, it's a new court. Um, this is actually the first time in 30 years that the Supreme Court uh, was faced with the decision whether or not to overrule Roe. Um, and it was the perfect time uh, to bring that case to the Supreme Court uh, because we have justices now who are committed to originalism. They're committed to the constitutional text. They're committed to not making up rights uh, like the so-called right to abortion. So what the Supreme Court decision does is it walks through the reasoning in Roe, uh, which even the late Justice Ginsburg thought was, was overbroad um, and unjustified. 
So it's hard to find a legal scholar who would actually defend Roe. Uh, instead, what they said was, well, we just need to keep it because it's already there. Uh, this, this doctrine known as stare decisis. But of course, that, that doesn't make much sense. Uh, uh, if a doctrine is wrong, um, it needs to be corrected, uh, particularly where it costs 60 million lives. So the Supreme Court looked at the Roe decision. They said there's no basis in the Constitution. And uh, so they overruled Roe uh, and follow on cases like Casey. And, and, and like you said, this, this is a, a decision that's been on the books for 50 years in America. What, what triggered the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade? What, what, what made this happen now? You know, that's a really great question. And it's because of voters in Mississippi. So in 2018, the Mississippi legislature voted to protect life. And the thing is, Kurt, this was a really modest uh, restriction. It was modest pro-life legislation. And what Mississippi said uh, is we believe life is valuable and we are not going to allow abortions after 15 weeks. Again, this accords with what the majorities of the country in the uh, countries in the world do. Uh, so modest restriction. Um, it's uh, consistent with international consensus. And importantly, at 15 weeks, a baby has a heartbeat. She can move uh, and she can stretch. Uh, she can hiccup as uh, she is fully taken on the human form. And even though this law didn't apply to 15 weeks, both lower courts struck it down under Roe, saying, sorry, Mississippi, you're out of luck. Your voters cannot protect life because Roe forbids states from protecting life until viability, again, around 21 or 22 weeks gestational age. So with Roe overturned, what's next to further the cause of life? Check this out. Now that Roe v. Wade's been overturned, do we all just go home? Is, uh, is, is is the job done or is there lots left to do? So there's an argument to be made under the 14th Amendment, like we we're talking about, that the unborn are persons under the 14th Amendment. I think initially what we're going to need to focus on uh, is these individual states, because right now under the current decision, states have the power to protect life. But as we're seeing and as we saw in anticipation of Roe's demise, a lot of liberal states are still permitting abortion up until the moment of birth. And that is just uh, sort of uh, outlandish, uh, given what we know about babies and their development much earlier. Um, so we need to promote a culture of life uh, throughout each and every state. We need to advocate at state legislators. We need to uh, have these pregnancy care centers in every community where there's an abortion facility. And we need to protect women and their children. After the overturning of Roe, you've likely heard the conversation about the family of faith's obligation to step in and to step up. But how exactly can we help? Roland Warren shares a few ways with us in this next clip. Roland, now that Roe has been overturned, uh, does that mean we all go home? Or does that mean that there is more work to be done for pregnancy centers? And what's that going to look like? Well, it's certainly, uh, Kirk, it's not the, the end, it's just the end of the beginning. Uh, because, you know, our, our work from the beginning has always had the perspective that Roe was overturned. Because we had an insight early on that said every time that a woman who has an opportunity to have abortion chooses not to, she actually overturned Roe v. Wade. So preparing for Roe has been part of our ministry model from the beginning because we, we know that we have the ability to overturn Roe every single day regardless of what happens legislatively or judicially. So a key part of that really is the role of the church. I mean, the reality is that there are roughly 3,500 or so pregnancy centers across the country. Uh, and, and you look at the impact of the number of folks who were seeking abortion, well, they're going to need compassion, hope, and help. And there's certainly a role for pregnancy centers. The sweet spot of our work is really from conception to birth, 
but a little bit, maybe a little bit further. But the reality is if a woman walks into a pregnancy center with a 10-year-old, there's not much that we can do for her. And so the church has a very, very specific role and a very, very specific call uh, in a post-Rowan environment. In fact, the church is the only institution that's ideologically aligned and structurally capable of dealing with a post-Rowan environment in a God-honoring way. Social services can't do that because it's transactional. So if you come to a social services entity and you have two kids you can't take care of and you're pregnant with a third, they they just try, try to look at what support they can give you. They don't try to ask you how you're living. It's not transformational. But Christ said, come as you are, but don't stay as you came. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what we want is to make sure that someone has not just life, but abundant life. And that transformational abundant life comes when you start to connect people to the church for ongoing support and discipleship. That's a key aspect of how you think about it. And don't we as the family of faith need to start thinking about the fact that with Roe being overturned, that means there's many states that have the opportunity to protect life, which means many, many more babies are going to be coming into the world. And some of these moms won't be able to raise their, their child themselves. So what are we gonna do with all of these babies? Yeah, no, and that's absolutely it. See, part of the challenge, I think, has always been sort of Christians viewing the life issue either through a political engagement or a material support lens. I submit to you the primary way you should think about the life issue is through a discipleship lens. If helping someone who's facing a pregnancy decision is a good work, all good works that Christians do should lead to discipleship. And so when you start to think about the life issue from a discipleship lens, you realize this is something that's inside the church, not something outside the church that Christians should care about, but it's inside the church in the sense that someone who's facing a pregnancy decision, like someone who needs housing, who's water for the thirsty, food for the hungry, clothes for the naked, you know, compassion for the pregnant is also in that. So good works that Christians do should lead to discipleship. So when someone's facing a pregnancy decision, our first thought should be, she needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ if she's not. The child growing inside of her needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. The guy who got her pregnant needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so there's amazing evangelistic discipleship opportunity that the overturning of Roe presents. And we and the church is called to do that. As I said, there's so many small groups in churches that could come alongside someone who's facing a pregnancy decision. If you look at the reasons why women have abortions and the why men support them. She doesn't have the place to live. You got an extra room. She can't get to her prenatal visits. You're retired. Can you drive? Uh, their, their relationship is frayed. They've never even seen what a good marriage looks like. You've been married for decades. Will you mentor this couple? He's running from fatherhood because he never had a father. You've been a father for years. Will you mentor this young man? He needs a job. You got a business. I mean, I mean, all these things, it's really thinking about the life issue through a discipleship uh, perspective. Life decisions need life support. And the life support that these life decisions need are the people in the church, in the pews, who are mobilized to offer compassion, hope, and help. We have had so many wow moments from each of our guests on these topics, but here's just a few more that you'll find really powerful. You've also talked about the importance of not just being pro-life, but pro-abundant life. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, it's good, good that you asked that because really talking about John 10, 10, where Christ said, I came that you might have life and then have that life abundantly. And the insight that we had was that when you really look at that verse and unpack it in the Greek, he's talking about two types of life. He's talking about bios, which is physical life, 
But he's also talking about Zoe, which is a unique type of spiritual life that only comes from a relationship with Christ. So essentially what he's saying is, I came to link your bias with my Zoe. And when you think about that in the life context, it means that we can't just be focused on saving the baby in physical life, as God honoring as that is. We also be, want to make sure that, that child is a heartbeat that's heaven bound, because that's really what Christ wanted us to be, heartbeats that are heaven bound, to link our bias to his Zoe. And so from a pro-abundant life perspective, you're really thinking about it in that context. We are seeing revival take place in our, in our cities because the church is coming alive. What we hear all the time is from pastors is, the congregation that I brought out to the prayer walk is a completely different congregation that I brought back with me. We're seeing their young people get activated and stirred in every way, not just over the issue of life, over the issue of just loving God and loving what he loves and hating what he hates. I think there's a lot of people who relate to what you say. Like, man, I'm for adoption. I think it's a great idea. And uh, God bless those people who can do it. But, but they personally might find the whole thing a little overwhelming, intimidating, and even terrifying. So what did you find was the most challenging part about adopting a child? Well, I would say that you need to be praying about every step of the journey. First, just the whole idea of adoption. I, it was such a big deal. I, I was thinking, how's it going to affect my four biological children? Right. You know? And so if he leads you and your family to adopt or foster care or support financially another family that is in the process of adoption, be open to trusting him and don't be afraid. You know, God will be with you in the process. And even the difficult parts of learning how to bond with this child, introducing them to a family, the Lord is in the midst of that messiness. And we, you know, in America, we have so many uh, comfort zones that we like to live in. God is always pulling us outside of our comfort zone and saying, get off, get off your high horse and help the person in the ditch. Be the good Samaritan for the people that are in need around you. Jesus said, I was hungry. You fed me thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. When you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And through the adoption process, you get to do all of those things. And also God will do a deep work in your heart in the process. So I just tell people, pray about it, be open to the Lord, leading you in one direction or another. But whether he leads your family to physically adopt or not, he wants you to support it in your community. Abby, I'm thinking now of some of the young lady out there or the older lady out there, whoever might know that, hey, I, I, I love your testimony. I love that, that you're using the past as a platform to launch a ministry to help other people. And in fact, I, I'd love to be like that. The problem is um, I'm pregnant right now. And she's saying, I have this real crisis on my hands. And so, you know, I, I could just get an abortion and be like you and have a movie made about my life. And then I'd have this great ministry and use the past as a testimony for uh, helping people in the future. What would you say to her right now? She's saying, but you didn't have to go through what I went through because you, you didn't choose life. You, you, you chose the abortion. That was, that was easier than what you're asking me to do right now. What would you say to her? Yeah. This is not a story that you want. My story is not a story that you want. And I, I tell young people that all the time. I stand up on a stage in front of them and I tell them, man, this conversion story that I have, um, you don't want to stand up on a stage and expose your greatest sins to the public. Um, I do it because God has compelled me to do it. But 
it has not been easy. Um, living, living with the burden of knowing what I have done to my own children. Um, it is not an easy road to, to take. It's not, uh, an easy burden to carry. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, a much better life to say that I have always followed God's path for my life than to say I walked away from God and I refused God and then I had to come back to him. Because the years that you refuse God will be the most difficult years of your life. And they will be years that you make tremendous mistakes in your life that, and mistakes that you will carry with you for the rest of your life. And anyone watching who, who is possibly pregnant and in a crisis, I would say to you that I do have a ministry that can help you. I would love to help you. Um, you aren't alone in this journey. And uh, it's a national ministry. We can plug you into local places. Uh, you can go to loveline.com. We're, we're here to help you 24 hours a day, no matter what the need is. If you need rent assistance, if your car's about to get repossessed, if you need diapers, if whatever it is, if you're a single mom and you're struggling, if you're pregnant, if you're a single dad, if you're a victim of domestic violence, whatever it is, if you are a person in crisis right now, um, I want to help you. And you can go to loveline.com right now. You can text us, you can call us, you can email us. And we we want to be able to accompany you on this journey that you're on. Roland, what if a girl is watching right now and she's pregnant, she is uh, facing the choice of whether or not to abort her child or to choose life. Uh, where can she go for practical help now? Uh, she can go to our pregnancy decision line, which she can find online by just putting in pregnancy decision line. And uh, we have folks who, who uh, answer phones there to help connect, uh, reach out and connect her also to pregnancy centers. There are pregnancy centers across communities. Uh, if you uh, come to CareNet's website, care-net.org, there's a place there that says find a pregnancy center. But the other thing too that we're, we're really building out really is more and more churches being able to provide that long-term support as well. We have to have a clear ministry model. If someone loses a husband, we got grief support. They're facing a divorce, we've got divorce care. <laughs> we got all these different ministries. But for this one thing that's so critical and so time constrained, there's not a, co a cohesive ministry on ramp. And that's the reason why we developed Making Life Disciples specifically to do that. So there's one answer that there's a ministry here called Making Life Disciples so that you never feel that an abortion clinic is a compassionate alternative to the church. So if people want to get involved with Love Life Ministries, how can they do that? Lovelife.org is the best way. Go to our website. We got ways for you to connect with us. We're in 14 cities across the nation. We're planning to launch 14 more next year. Uh, you can help us do that. Go to our website. All the information is on our website. I never held any grudge at all. I was just always thankful that you left the clinic. And I'm here today because of you. And that's the message of adoption. What a powerful note to end on. Hearing David say to his birth mother, Melissa, I'm here today because of you. I was honored to have met and told Melissa and David's story in my movie, Life Mark. And I hope that their story, along with all the others you heard today, were a blessing to you. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please 
follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.